Hello, Trollsters. Welcome back to Don't Feed the Trolls. I am Matt McDonald, and I recently recorded a conversation for a podcast called Church and Other Drugs with a chap named Jed Payne. In the conversation, we talked about drugs, addiction, spirituality, contemplation, and how a culture of shame or suppression can lead to really a destructive way of being. And I found this conversation to be interesting and vulnerable and revealing, so I figured, why not post it as an episode for you? After all, these are things that relate on a deep level to what our podcast is about. So, that's what I'm going to do. Without further delay, here is my conversation with Jed, and I hope you enjoy it. All right, I'm ready. Sweet. So, I think you're also one of the people that shares just from listening to you shares my extreme love of all things cursive and bright eyes oh sweet yeah saddle creek baby (laughs) have you ever got have you ever got to meet either of them uh briefly in like a fan setting so like oh okay i think i might have shook tim casher's hand that's who i'd want to that's like my one of my dream interviews i'd love to talk to that guy really well, yeah. I, I have a friend who's really close with him, so. No way. Not that I would ever do you a favor, but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted you to know that uh, I hold that power in my hand. <laughs> no, I don't actually at all. I don't, um, I don't claim to know anybody really. No, that's what like all those bands in high school are what fueled my initial like weird uh, obsession with like the uh, the drunken poet thing drunken artist yeah yeah well they all have to sober up if they want to keep going that's the way i know things go i feel like uh i feel like connor burst kind of lost it to be honest what do you mean i have not liked any of his new stuff well like you prefer him to be a a a drunken drug addict unfortunately (laughs) yeah (laughs) for for music's sake Uh, if i'm honest that reminds me of, a, uh, speaking of poetry, that reminds me of a Kierkegaard quote. I'm going to look it up for you. Okay, here, here I, it I is. To, uh, oh, yeah, go for it. Here it is. What is a poet? A poet is, an, a poet is an unhappy being whose heart is torn by secret sufferings, but whose lips are so strangely formed that when the sighs and the cries escape them, they sound like beautiful music. And men crowd about the poet and say to him, sing for us again soon. That is as much to say... May new sufferings torment your soul, which Ooh. I was brought into me, uh, brought into mind because it, you, you're kind of saying to exactly that to Connor Oberst, may new sufferings torment your soul so that you can come bring me some beautiful music. <laughs> it's true. Connor, if you're listening, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, okay. So you had your own. So I just discovered y'all like, I don't know, I guess it was three years ago now. Um, like when uh when I got sober this time around, I kind of like retooled my whole life, and that's when I found uh, I've always been an Emory fan, and that's when I found like the BC guys and got into podcasts and all that all cool. that good stuff. Um, and then I heard the reason I, I sent you that email. Um, I heard that song, uh, and I honestly just forgot the title, the drug song. Oh, God and Drugs. God and Drugs. Yeah. yeah. I was confusing that with the Amberlynn song. Yeah, um, and I was listening to the lyrics, and I was just like, oh, this dude is one of us for sure. And so I went straight <laughs> to the Google, and I was like, oh, no, I guess not. But like, so 
what like i don't know i know this <laughs> this is like old ass news but that's just super interesting to me that you captured pretty m- i've always said that i don't even you, i'm sure you don't know did you look at our podcast at all or i i, I looked at the one yeah yeah um so i'm a recovering heroin whatever drug addict um and i've always said and through like all the addicts I've met across the country, like a common theme is that I always feel like we're more spiritually in tuned people. And it's like with that kind of sensitivity, either you look to just turn it off or you go the other direction and like embrace it and see what it's meant for or whatever. Right. So everything in that song was based like just talking about like trying to push God away or looking for a spiritual relief in a chemical. I was like, that is spot on. Yeah. So where, where did that come from? Um. Well, I can't say. I mean, I not that I. I can't say that I'm one of anybody really. I don't really fit into any mold, but um, I will say that I've dabbled with certain things and had certain periods of my life where I did more of one thing than I would probably do if I were to go back, but. Um, and I have the addict gene in my, um, in my family or whatever. And I figure at this point I'm 35 and if I haven't um, fallen down into a ditch at this point, I'm probably safe from, from that. Is it like your immediate, like siblings or parents or? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, um, my granddad died actually in our house when he was 68 from cirrhosis of the liver from. Um, oh yeah, alcoholism, Man. and then my uh, my uncle was an alcoholic, and uh, cancer eventually got him. Uh, he was he was sober for years, but he smoked like a chimney. My dad's mom was a smoker. Um, my uncle was a heroin addict and died that way. Um, wow! So I, it's all in there. Uh, it, I didn't mean to dive. No, no, no. Super. It's, this, it, it's fun- fine. It's and fine. the funny thing about podcasts is like, it's one-sided because I'm like, well, I know exactly what Matt McDonald's about and you just now met me. But yeah, so that's... <laughs> well, yeah, no, it's... So, so, uh, but also yeah, so you, I do, I do at least, um, I think I relate and I think I've been obsessed with the, with the idea because in the circles, different circles over my life where drugs have been prevalent there seems to be a culture of people who kind of flock to it like moths to flame where there is a semblance of, or a sense of camaraderie or brotherhood or or like-mindedness about the world and about the complexities of life and about suffering. And a lot of times that, that can bond people together. And, and then, you know, the drug is just the, the glue, I guess that keeps you there. But, um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I've always been into the idea of, or the, the play between, um, kind of the spiritual need of the soul and, and, um, chemicals in the brain that, that can be manipulated to make you feel a certain way. And I the think re- replacement God. Sure. Exactly. But also, yeah, I, I mean, people have used psychedelics, etc., to open their brains to different new possibilities, you know, scientists and the like. And 
you know, it's just a different way of seeing the world. But I think where addiction comes in is 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 in the place of of true transcendence, in the place of true uh, truth. It it can if you fall into the trap, it it guides you the wrong direction. But I would say that for me, I've always felt that like addicts or people who are that seeking or that desperate for even even a shadow of the truth would be far closer to finding it than than those who who just turn a blind eye and don't don't seek at all so i've always felt right. like a kinship with seekers in that regard and people who um who go to the dark places in search of the light even you know and and so i don't fault anybody who's who's fallen into the trap and i mean i could i mean jury's still out on me but I, 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 right. I it's I, definitely I, a, like a threshold that has to get like a line has to be crossed because not, a, you know, you can control it until you can't. Right. Yeah. And there's been times where like, you know, and this is just me being person like I'm, I'm, a, I'm an upfront guy. I like to talk about everything and I don't I don't really hide much. But there have been times where like I swear I'm drinking every day for three months, four months straight, but not like not like abusively, but like, it's just the nature of the life that like life on the road. Oh yeah. And it's, it's just not, like, that's, it's not, that, it's like, it's not necessarily like wake and chug or anything like to try to keep the hangover or the shakes at bay, but it's like, it's daily, you know? And where I start getting the thoughts like, okay, what if I don't drink tonight? And then if that thought scares me, then I'm like, I'm not drinking tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> so I have a it's thing. not even, it's not even necessarily like how much or whatever. It's it's right. really about like intention. Right. And are are you drinking to cover up or is are you satisfying like an obsession or something? Right, right. And like but believe me, if I you know, I am no bemoaner of chemicals. If I didn't have the problem with it, I would if I could drink like a gentleman, I would, believe me. Yeah. Actually, well they always, they always say that. I don't know. I've just never liked like one beer sure it's never <laughs> never been my yeah thing. well it's funny because like christy and i got off the road and um probably about a month and a half ago and in the two months that we were touring there was probably like three or four days where we didn't have a drink because pre pre-show was like two beer that's what you do like there's some shows yeah. we couldn't or for whatever reason but like like she you know she has nerves or whatever and it was just like okay, two beers and then you're relaxed and you can remember your parts and not overthinking it, you know? And, and so that was kind of our routine or whatever. And then after, you know, to wind down, you know, a couple of drinks too. So it was, that was like two for two months straight and we got here and I was like, I'm done. Cause yeah. I've been saved by, you know, a lot of things about my personality are, are difficult for a lot of people to deal with and difficult for me. But one of the good things about it is that I just, I cannot stand being under the power of something or something else or someone else. Oh, I hear you. And so I, I will rage against it. If I feel like something is controlling my mood, like I can't do without something it's done it. The second I feel like it has that wedge into me, I'm, I'm done with it. And uh, so every time I've gotten close to the edge, like you said, like the threshold, I've always like looked over and gone, no, I'm going back. Like I'm done. That's so interesting. Yeah. Like, nicotine is the last thing that i just it's like i at least quit smoking for the most part and i vape but you know so i'll just get future cancer or whatever the hell that's gonna give me but (laughs) robot cancer (laughs) robot cancer exactly yeah um yeah i always like it's funny 
my like fundamental, not fundamentalist, but Southern, I'm from South Carolina and I grew up Southern Presbyterian. So like that kind of upbringing really played a part like in me doing drugs really quickly because my parents uh, found cigarettes and drug tested me when I was like super young and I, I had like just started smoking pot or whatever. So I, I uh, failed for pot. So they started drug testing me regularly and like the internet had just come out then. So I was just going on all the message boards and like finding stuff that you, that you could get high on that wouldn't show up on a drug test. And wow. So yeah, just ended up doing So that like, was like the button. They put a button on the wall said, do not push. And yeah, you're just young enough to go, well, of course I'm pushing that button. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and then it fed into the cycle of, I had this, like the biggest view of God that I took with me was like, you're a sinner, especially with sexual stuff. Like I had the guilt complex, like sure. crazy. Yeah. And so it was just this cycle of sinning or whatever, doing stuff I thought was wrong, feeling the guilt, needing something to cover up the guilt, then needing something to cover up the guilt that I, of the of stuff the guilt, that I just covered the guilt, the guilt yeah. with. and. Well. That's Real like that's like you get drunk and then you get hungover and you need something to cure the hangover. So you get drunk again and you get hungover and you need to get something to cure the hangover. It's the same cycle. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But that's the thing is like you, you tell people not to do like and I had the same thing. Like when I when I first drank now I'm lucky to have it's not been it wasn't early in life. I was protected at least as far as that goes in a small town and, and with friends that were relatively clean people. But I mean, I think I think I was 15 or something, 16 when I when I first drank beer. I remember t it was disgusting, and this like yep. migrant worker bought it for us at the at the berry farm that we worked at, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and we had to use all of our Spanish we learned in high school to get it. I feel like it was like a sort of a rite oh, of a rite of passage, you know, to like yeah, try to sure. try to illegally obtain alcohol when you're underage um, from someone who doesn't speak your language. Even I thought like we earned it, you know. Oh yeah, but, that's good. Uh, but that's we good. we three of my friends we took um. We took a 24 pack of like Bud Light to onto my trampoline after work one day, and we drank the <laughs> we drank the whole thing. Um, I think it was like we each had seven or eight. The first Oof. like I'd oh, taken so you threw oh, up. Oh yeah, a lot. And I, yeah. <laughs> but I remember like throwing up and not really feeling it. Like it's just like it's such a foreign substance, you know. Just like oh my gosh, and then running around and falling over because you couldn't even keep your balance and yep, you know. Uh, and then, and then, you know, waking up kind of hungover or whatever, but you're young and it doesn't really matter. Oh yeah. You and bounce then, back like a rubber band. Yeah. But I remember thinking like, now those are my two friends that I did it with. Um, and then when we kind of like grew a little bit, there were my friends whose parents were religious. I mean, they were practicing in their faith. Um, one was a Lutheran and the other was, I don't know, some sort of evangelical, but didn't really uh, it wasn't, wasn't necessarily super conservative so they, they could drink or whatever. But, um, but my two friends who, who are actually good friends of mine, their dads, like all the way growing up modeled to them, like responsible drinking and alcohol wasn't seen as this evil thing. I mean, their dads yep. would have a beer or two while watching the game and, you know, attitude would never change and there's nothing, they're none the wiser. And it's just, it's, it's just a relaxing thing and it's not this crazy party drug or whatever. And yep. My my upbringing, you can probably attest to this or at least relate to it, was like if you have one or you have ten, the sin is the same. Same difference. 
Yeah. <laughs> so in your yep. in your teenage brain, with when you have that information, you go, well, I'm not just gonna have one. I've already yeah. crossed the line. Exactly. Let's do ten, you know? And yep. I remember like and I'm just an extreme person by nature, but like that Me too. that um I just feel like that was a toxic lesson or a toxic paradigm that that our parents or at least that culture influenced them to set up um which is this like zero tolerance and anybody who does this should be seen in this certain light because the second you do it and the second you screw up suddenly you see yourself in that light and then you either chuck the whole thing out or or you know or or you or you try to um, reinterpret the whole thing or or you end up in the cycle of shame that you were talking about which is just like yep you you know it does not serve anybody to approach approach anything in our life i mean there's some things that are just blatantly damage damaging yeah, but like forbidden fruit of of a legal substance that many smart uh happy people use on a in a moderate level on a on a daily basis or or weekly basis is 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 something that you should approach in a moderate way not in an extreme way that like causes them to stumble into it you know, thinking that right. they, they're they're at Hell's Gate or whatever, and that was like, so I, I would look at my friends who were uh, doing the like grew up moderate drinking and stuff, and I was like, well, they're going to be sinning their whole life, right? But I know that I'm going to quit one day, so like, let's just do everything, and then because you're going to quit when you're like 19, I'm sure I'm sure of it. You oh, know, gosh. you'll yeah, and so like that led to me like starting uh heroin when I was 17 and then so and and this was coinciding with I was really I was the type of kid that like I would go see a movie and then come home and like I was that character for the week and then go to the next movie you know super imaginative and so when I think we had seen Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and we had just gotten into Modest Mouse and like that was like what me and my group of friends were about right so so it was kind of this game and like I found out that I was just good at drugs. Like I was really shitty at drinking and I just didn't like it. So I was also the type of person, like I played the drums cause I wasn't good at guitar and everybody played guitar. Gotta be different. The terminal uniqueness shit. Right. Right. And, uh, so I was like, well, I'm just going to do drugs. And you know, you get attention in high school, like, Oh, he's so crazy. Like, wow. You know, the bad boy deal. Yeah. And then one day I wake up and I'm 20 and I'm like, Oh, well I'm not in control of this and I can't stop anymore. So, right. And then you're still well in your your developmental years as far as your brain goes right. and, and the chemistry of your brain and everything. That's like right. one thing I think about because like I, you know, my brain wants to get messed up. I don't know what kind of yeah. podcast this is, but normally I'd say the other. Oh, word. you can say fuck up. <laughs> okay, fuck up. My gay, my brain, my brain naturally wants to get fucked up. That's what it wants. Like it, it just, it, yeah. It's in its. I'm in my brain all day long, and it's going a thousand you know miles a minute and when i when the day is done or whatever i need to find something to focus on that is not whatever's the inside of my brain whatever the wallpaper is yeah. in, in my skull which is what i've been spinning around in all day and so i i, I have a natural uh inclination to to want that but i i don't know if it has any i think it's just my personality could have uh, something to do too. with the fact that i was 15 when i started kind of messing with my brain um but all i can hope for my kids too is just like and i I would just be completely honest with them like you know that's when you're old enough when you're old enough please like just don't mess with the tender brain 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna try the uh, like da- like dad ruins everything type of thing. Like if I catch him smoking, be like, hey, can your old man join you? I used to smoke, you know. You know, pass that doobie, son. Oh, dad. You know, maybe that'll work. Who knows? I don't yeah. have kids yet, but yeah, you know, just well, got married, so. well. That is the opposite approach of the forbidden fruit approach or the right. red button on the wall says do not push. If you just tell your kids all the time to do tons of drugs and have sex and how cool would that be? Exactly. Watch They'll a teenager <laughs> watch a teenager do the opposite. That's just the nature yeah. of of forming your identity as a teen is is fighting against the the power structures that 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 formed your identity in your youth. And so if you want your kids to do something um good, maybe tell them to do bad stuff. Right. So, so are you in Canada now? Are you? Is this? And you're reading books? Is this like? Yeah, are you just man. Reclusing? Is this your uh, Obi Wan yeah. and Dagobah stage? Well, we were going for a long time there. Like I said, like Christy and I, we we did two months on the road in a in an RV with my kids. And uh, how was, was that? Insane. I have three kids, and they're all five and under. So it was just a lot of work. We had friends come out, which was nice. And kind of help us and you know be kind of our adult allies um but before that um you know i came out with a record in in late april with the classic crime we toured in may um basically when i got back i had 10 days to get out of my house and start on this tour with vocal few and before that um you know i put i put out a christmas album that i recorded with vocal few and before that it was like um writing the record and recording the classic crime record and so and then the whole while of 2016, I'm I'm podcasting, doing a weekly podcast, as you know, is difficult yeah. difficult to put together and really stay motivated on. So it totally is. Just the amount of hours I was just putting into, I would I would call ego work, just like what my brain wants to do, what my brain thinks is important, what my brain wants to achieve, um, and then and then f- towards the end of tour, just feeling like I'm gonna crash and burn if I don't stop. If I don't stop, like everything's going to fall apart. And, you know, Christy and I, my wife and I are, are having lots of conversations about like there's stuff that happened in this last year that we couldn't even stop and, and talk about or stop and discuss, you know, stuff that just got suppressed because it just had to at the time. We, we yeah. were just moving so fast we couldn't address everything. And now, yeah. we're, at, now we're at a point where we're slowed down enough and I've been using, yeah, like you said, I've been using books or fiction or walks. Um, I'm on this thing now where I get up at dawn every morning and I go to the top of this hill by by uh, the house and I watch the sunrise. Nice. Um, try to tune myself to the rhythms of the planet. Like when you feel like you're spinning out of control, I was listening to this guy, uh, John O'Donohue, I think this is Irish poet and and uh i guess he's a sociologist or a psychologist too uh philosopher mostly um but he was he was talking about if you tune yourself to to or get your body in tune with nature that that can be um something that can really ground you and slow you down so like waves crashing or yeah that leaves rustling that but one thing he said that really like challenged me i guess because i hear things like i'm gonna do that it sounds crazy was like he you know he had some high-powered exec call him from New York and say, I just feel like I'm floundering. I'm spinning out of control. Like my mind's racing. I don't feel connected. I don't feel deeply rooted in my body. I don't understand who I am. What's one thing you can give me that I can do? And he said, 
do this for a week. Wake up at dawn and watch the sun, watch the light come up. And then um, at dusk, do the same and do that for a week and see what happens. And he said her, her basically her whole outlook on life changed and, you know, it led hmm. her in, in, in a crazy new path. Um, and just, I think we're just deprived of that in our cultures. I mean, everything yeah. is electric light and, and blue screens and, um, you know, our opiate receptors and our, we're getting the dopamine from just clicking on and refreshing and who's talking to me and who thinks I'm important and who liked my last comment. And, and that is just, I mean, have you unplugged from that? Oh as yeah. Well? Yeah. Yeah. See, I've, that's God. I've, I'm jealous of that. I've done that in phases. I've done that in phases and the <laughs> books, the books help me unplug, although I'm getting probably some other, um, opiate kickback from, from I reading think, good fiction. For, I mean, I, I'm going to say it's better though. I mean, Oh, absolutely. I, I, got, think it is. I wouldn't do be. it. I wouldn't do it if I didn't think it was better. Cause I'm, I'm so tired like of the social media. How did, so yeah. How did you, what do you, you limit hours on the phone per day? No phone, no internet on the phone. Like what are you like uh, um, tangibly doing? So, you know, every January or so, ever since um, Steve Jobs in, invented the iPhone, uh, Christy, Christy and I have like done like a like a phone fast or whatever. Essentially, I mean, a lot a lot of Januarys we haven't, but <clears throat> many of them were just like we're done with this. Let's just tune out and you know we delete our apps or whatever and and then maybe I'll be on the computer because I have to run like websites. So when I'm working, yeah, I have to make a post or something. I'll do it on my uh, my desktop. But um, but to stay off the little thing so you can get the break, you can look up and see and be a part of reality. You know, not just walk around with your head down looking at the blue screen. <laughs> and uh, so we've done that uh, from time to time. And I, I, you know, as as you might know, it's hard at first, and then it gets easy, and then it's like, well, who cares about that? Like that that oh, no. seemed so meaningful, and now I'm having all these other meaningful experiences that are so much more real than that. Yeah. Um, who cares about that argument I had on Facebook about whether or not Trump's a dickhead? That doesn't it's, mean anything. It doesn't change anybody's mind, but you know, it doesn't. It it's so true. I I tried to tell my mom because I've I've been to eighteen treatment centers and trying to get sober, been to prison and all that. But every time the the one silver lining out of all of that is deprivation and then indulgence. So like even going like two months with like out outside food and then just like drinking a coke is like the most amazing thing right imaginable right. and like those times you know you're not allowed to have your phone and all that and it's great and you forget all about it and then i don't know if it's because of deprivation that i go maybe it's just because my personality but when i get back it's right back to it and like my excuse now is i gotta run a podcast or whatever so i sure, need my sure. phone and Sure. And it's like, but God, it's like, you know, I used to love, I do love watching movies and it's like changed my attention span for yeah. watching movies. Yeah. I've noticed that. And like with everything, I have to have two screens going at once and like, yeah, I know that shit is a problem. Oh but. yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and it's been more of a problem when I've had like stress in my life. So whenever I'm making a record and I'm like all the way down up to my neck in, you know, all the self-loathing and self-doubt and struggle and trying to reconcile and is this good or is this bad or what am I doing like that is 
you know, when I make a record, that's like what goes into it. That's like all the emotions that go into it. And it like saps me often of my ability to, to communicate. So I become a little bit more like a rec- recluse. And um, in, in times past, I've like picked up like little mobile games um, where it saps all of the extra time. So I don't have to think about the record and like totally distracts me from it. Oh yeah, it's just perfect <laughs> escapism. Which was fine until I had kids. Um, well, yeah. so my my wife would argue that it wasn't fine when I did it before, and I was I was withholding myself from her as well. Um, but like, I just don't. I can't do that anymore either. So I I think I've learned over the years to like be able to put it down. There are times in like stress or when I'm just in a bad mood where it's just like, oh, I'll just like scroll around and, you know. Yeah. So I see it as, I see it as like a. What the fuck is that? Yeah. I mean, I know what it is, but like, what is this going to do to us? Like, Like I've got nothing. Exactly. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, take walks. I I do, you know, I probably walked an hour and a half today. Um, And sometimes I walk quiet, which is really hard. Try that. That's hard because I I soundtrack my life. Like, that's my, like. Yeah. I work uh, an outside job right now by myself. So like the headphones go on at like 8 a.m. And like I'm not pre- – well, I mean I'm in, I'm in a different place really until right. like 4. Yeah. The, it's tough. I think the being okay with silence is really – it really comes down to – if you can be okay, completely okay, which is the most difficult thing for me too. If you can be okay with silence and like the sound of your breath – then I think you can really love yourself. But I think people are afraid of what might come, afraid of what might bubble up. And the silence is just deafening. And so we try to, we try to turn that off and I'm trying to get back to that. And like, I'm, I'm very much <coughs> an offender of all the things that I hate about society. Um, oh, me too. If you... So, so I'm yeah. trying, like I'm, I'm using this opportunity out here in Canada. I'm, I'm living it. Um, my aunt owns the house. My grandparents owned it. It's from 1830. It's like a farmhouse where, you know, 45 minutes from the, from the nearest big city, about five minutes from a college town though. But just out here in like colonial, you know, settlement and, uh, a beautiful country, you know, in Nova Scotia. So we're, uh, we're out here and we don't have to pay rent and I don't have to worry Ooh, about nice. yeah, that's that's the number one reason. I don't, I don't have to worry about the rent coming every month or whatever. So yeah. I figured I should use this as a luxury and I should use this opportunity to do my like soul work, whatever that is, because I could just be distracted the whole time doing, yeah. doing my ego work, which I mean you have to do to survive. You have well, to Well that's what I was gonna ask. Is your um I mean I'll, I'll just for a blanket term, just call this like your meditations. Like, are you God focused or are you really going like Eastern, um, mindfulness meditation, like centering stuff? Are you, are you trying to reconcile more with yourself or like bringing God into it? Um, it, it's, if, a, it's that a question. No, no, that's a good, that's a good question. And I probably would have asked myself that more, um, deeply maybe 10 years ago and that would have mattered a lot to me then but i think my understanding is well number one being in touch with creation being in touch with the earth is in a sense being in touch with god 
um, or at least what God means to me as kind of the driving force that made all this. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, and that's trying to center myself around at least some, that, that bigger, the bigger aspect of things like the earth's, um, rotation around the sun. That's a, that's an interesting, um, perspective that I think, um, does, does, is a spiritual practice that does, um, bring me into the presence of the divine. Uh, but I, I wouldn't say that I, that I now centering prayer is another thing that I do some. And, uh, it is middle Eastern, I will say, um, because the great, the great, well, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus was Middle Eastern, so no way, yeah. not my Jesus. They, they, he's my white dude, with an yeah. AK forty-seven. He's more, he's Mormon. Um, yeah, <laughs> but, Joseph uh, Smith, man, <laughs> blonde hair, blue eyes, perfect. He gets the ladies. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but like you know, from from the practices dating back to like basically first century, second century, um, third century, and especially after the third century and beyond, when when Christianity became kind of the, the the religion of the state, a lot of the ascetics, or they became ascetics, ultimately the mystics or the people who understood kind of the deeper truths of spirituality couldn't really marry the two. They couldn't really say, okay, what Jesus was about is what Rome is about. Um, and they went off into the desert and have, and because of that, we have thousands of years of their work and thought and meditative practices and centering prayer and stuff like that to go to. Um, if you are from a Christian tradition, you can go back to those Christians and say, well, how did they center themselves? Well, um, and what books are those like? Are there like seminal books in that? Cause everyone talks about what the desert fathers did this, yeah. that and the other, but like, where do you like, <laughs> where do you go to find that? Uh, you go to the Catholic church, my man. No got, way. <laughs> no. No well, way. Yeah, I know. Well, the, the Catholics keep very good records of all of their saints and all of their holy people and their mystics and everything from every tradition. And so... Um, okay, so it's like saint writings. Yeah, essentially. I mean, Augustine was a saint, right? Saint Augustine. Right. Um, and he's, he's you know, a lot of modern theology is based off of his work. Um but I would I would more say go to modern people like I would say Father Thomas Keating or um, Thomas Merton. Uh, you might really like Merton actually, because <clears throat> these are these are people who are within the line of that tradition, um, and uh, and who carried it out in a in a in a in a more modern setting. And a more right. more applicable setting, and they followed these forefathers that kind of did that. Um, but anyways, yeah, we've lost a lot of that practice. Um, that um, we've kind of we've been told. I mean, at least me, growing up pretty fundamentalist, that the mind was not your friend, and that if mm-hmm. you rely too much on your mind, your mind will trick you because your mind is evil and Satan controls your mind. So don't turn on your mind. Don't use your mind. Don't think with your mind. Just read the text with the interpretation that we give you, and um, and all will be fine. But whatever you do, don't rely on yourself. Don't go into yourself. Yourself is not your friend, and uh, and I think that's led to a lot of people to just just to be bankrupt of spiritual practices that really center them in a in a in their bodies into an enfleshed, incarnate 
divinity that well, um, that I think we've lost. It's all just this theoretical thing that people believe up in their heads. Um, well, and I re- I realized too, like especially going off of what you just said, that I've had so many. I you know spent my twenties being told because I do have a mind and a body that like ultimately is trying to kill me because of the disease or or what have you. So I've had all these people telling me, do not trust your mind and like think this way, think that way. And there was a period of time where I just completely went and tried to rebel against everything and denounce God and just try to be on my own. And then that did not end well. So just all this confusion and especially just these past three years, it's like, I don't know. It's so being, I'm so tired of being pulled in like a thousand different directions and like really don't understand why the, whatever the truth is, wouldn't just be fucking plain, you know, like I really like why, if, if it's so, which I do believe it's the most important thing in the world. Like, why is it so left up to like, why is there, why, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I'm asking like well, mysteries of the universe, yeah, here, yeah. but I think you get what I'm, you smell what I'm stepping in, but, uh, yeah, I think the mystics, understood that it was far more difficult than black and white and yeah. they, they understood that the only way to get to or even close in the vicinity of the truth was through contemplative practices um it was through practice not not literal belief um and, and a, a lot of our faith has been co-opted by this post-rationalism or this post-enlightenment where it's like you have to know the facts and if, if you don't have the facts, then that's just fruitless and meaningless. And that's really like not how the ancient Christians behave. That's not what they believed. They believed in capital T truth that didn't really rely even on, on the facts. It was a truth that transcended the facts. You know, it was a paradox. Um, well, that's, that's it was why a I'm mystery. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't you also like, I guess not jumped on the science bandwagon but like there's it seems like i don't even really i can't even put a word on like the the movements that are going on right now but right. it seems like there's some sort of big something like right a split coming or something and it's like these people i guess it's just because i'm thinking science mike and like the liturgist because right. that's easy to come to mind but you've got like scientific truth everything you grew up with is wrong, but at the same time, this mysticism stuff. And, and my thing is like, I've never understood like, why is it easy? Cause I'm a big admittedly supernatural person and I've had, you know, whatever. And it's never made sense to me. Like why, like you had that controversy over holy water saying that you're, you know, an old earth person or whatever, essentially. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's like, why is that even such big issues to people to, like die on that hill if it's like why some supernatural things over the other and like why are some right. truth important well so, so it's identity for a lot of people and i think people aren't careful in our in a world where there isn't a lot a lot going under going on under the surface everything's like we're talking about the cell phone everybody's on their surface um all the time and distracting mm. themselves and not listening not going inside of themselves and not being silent and not having any practice spiritually in that world 
you have this deep lack of meaning, right? Because there is no meaningful spiritual practice for you. You go to church, you get entertained, people get on stage, there's lights and smoke and fog and badass worship music. And it, it woohoo, pumps you up, entertain, and then you go home and you watch football and you're entertained and you're entertained, you're entertained, everything's entertained. There's no practice in spirituality where you sit alone in a room and you just stand in the presence of God or sit in the presence of God and you just say nothing, nothing. Yeah. I'm going to empty myself. And that, with without that, you, it's so easy to look for meaning in your own identity. This is ego work, right? Who am mm-hmm. I? What do I stand for? I need meaning. I'm desperate for meaning because I don't get it anywhere. So let's wrap my identity around a theological, a theological belief. The belief that the Bible is inerrant. The belief that uh, the earth is 6,000 years old. The belief that the earth is flat, whatever it is, people are wrapping their identities around beliefs in, in the place of a, of a practice that they, that they so deeply long for, but don't even know that they're missing. Then they defend the identity because they're like, it's me because it's me. Right. Right. So if I say, if I say the earth is old to a, to a young earth creationist, the immediate reaction is anger. It's a personal attack. Right. Because they've wrapped themselves up with that. They don't even understand who they are apart from the ego. So, and I'm, I'm, I'm equally to blame for that. You know, I, every human has this tendency and that's why we need spiritual practice that like, Oh, for sure. Empties our brains of that stuff. Well, and that's kind of what, kind of why me and, um, my other usual co-host had to, he's taken some time off, but we're like Christians in Alcoholics Anonymous. Right. And like, we've noticed how like AA is really ran like first century Christianity, like, you know awesome meditation practices and it's it's basically like a a blueprint for how to be a good christian and have faith and all that but we're not allowed to talk specifically about you know jesus in there and then if i go to my pastor and tell him that i want to do drugs he'll just be like well you know pray about it it's like well okay so we're trying to like you know we started this conversation to try to like mesh and meld because you are right it's like anyone could benefit from the from spiritual AA, course the 12, of action. The 12-step 12 12 world, I think, is like one of these like last bastions of what the church was meant to be. Um, yes. Give you structure, but with full acceptance um, of who you are and with everybody coming with open hearts and open minds and saying, look at me, this is the worst. Yep. And that complete being known and being accepted in, in your world weakness is is that's what jesus was all about that's the gospel right so the chills on that one the the 12 steppers have sort of got this and i would say you know you don't need the music if if you want to go to church (laughs) and have meaning i would say aa's got it well and that's man like i play in uh there's a small church i go to and i play in the worship band here and that's what I've been struggling late lately with is is like I don't want to be this like contrarian asshole and try to like change everything. And it's not even that like they, you know, they're not like preaching it homosexuality from the pulpit or talking politics. There's nothing even like wrong with it, you know what I mean? But it right. just like I keep finding myself like this is so surface level and like what are we what are we really doing here? And then I battle with are you just being like am I Am I just like a wave tossed by the sea and all I do is listen to people bitch about church all day so therefore I'm taking that into my life or is there something to it? 
You know what I mean? Like, oh man, get out of my head. I've had all dude. those thoughts in that order. In that yeah. order. I, you know, going to a small church, volunteering, feeling those exact same things, sticking it out because it's got to be me. It's got to be the, you know, what I'm filling my head with. Uh, there's nothing wrong here. Um, and, uh, right. yeah, so I, I can relate to that. And I remember, I just, yeah, I, I know what that feels like and how, how bad that sucks. Yeah, <laughs> it does. And I get like at the end of the day, I usually settle on if nothing else, go serve. You've been given a gift. Absolutely. Go serve if nothing else. And then inevitably, like, you know, good comes of it. But it's. Yeah, it's it's all as much as you can handle. And I would say, you know, when it's when it's time, if it if it ever is for you and I, I don't know where you're at but um i'll say this don't don't beat yourself up over it i think your critique is probably dead on but as with everything sometimes critique is not beneficial um right to to the people who are at a certain place in their journey and 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 it's working um <laughs> yeah and that's why i don't want to exact like i'll keep quiet about it for the most part unless because right. that's, you know, that's even, I've even had to come to grips with like the fact that the mega church model, as far as I can tell, actually works for some people, you know, either. Yeah. yeah and it's like, I'm not going to be arrogant enough to just be like, oh, they're just all full of shit. Like, you know, I'm, you know, whatever to each their own. So, right. Well, people oh, are fun. people and yeah, that, yeah, you know, there's, there's a mix in, in every group and. Um, you can favor one ideology for, for how to do community over another and not have to demonize the other, you know, of course. So, and I'm, I'm with you. I'm like, I'm not into, I'm not into the mega church. It does not work for me. I don't think, I don't think it's, I don't think it's wise or efficient, but for some people they get a lot out of it. So yeah, it's just not for me then, you know? And, and I've had to, the practice I've had to go through like this, uh, this season, brother, but uh, uh, <laughs> was actually being okay with like missing church because I still had it's I'm fighting my, I guess, childhood idea of like, I do this for God. God does this for me. I transactional salvation, transactional right. salvation. Right. And it's so <laughs> hard to like, it's literally it has been like it. I had to pray and it was work to be like, it is okay if you miss church and like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. that's no, we felt a guilt too. That's and ingrained, man. There, it, it's, it's ingrained culturally too. And, you know, like you said, with, with parents being prohibitive and demonizing certain things and then, and then of course you want to do them. And, and then of course you overdo them because there was no, there's no level of moderation that was ever taught to you. It's the same thing with, with the cultural, education we get growing up in in the church and and there's just these these unspoken assumptions that we just accept which is good people good christians um people who are who are walking with the holy spirit or however you want to put it whatever sect of christianity you're from you have something different for this but it all means the same thing good people go to church on sunday every sunday and they don't miss it and bad people people who are falling by the wayside people who are who are being backsliders let, backsliders or people who are being tempted by the the great evil one, whatever. However, I mean, it all means the same thing. 
people who don't go to church, they're bad. People who go to church, they're good. That's what we t- that was pounded into our heads. Yep. And so naturally, that little voice in your head, that little super ego or or, or mega critic, that is formed in your youth, in your when you're three, four, and five, and six, or whatever, when your parents are really teaching you the boundaries of the rules, that thing's going to speak up when you go. Oh, I don't think it's spiritually healthy for me to go to church today. Right. <laughs> it's going to go. Right. Oh yeah, the father yeah. of lies is in your brain, son. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. <laughs> exactly that's so man so i think that's a natural thing and i experienced it i experienced it to this day and i i haven't gone to an evangelical church in probably a couple years now um wow and i actually don't feel any guilt about missing church anymore Do do you have do you do do you quote unquote do church in another way or is it just like do you uh listen to any sermons or um i listen to podcasts uh some of those are sermon like i suppose um all a sermon is is just um a subpar ted talk anyways but (laughs) unless it's a good sermon then it's a good ted talk but it's a ted talk nonetheless nonetheless i I mean uh but yeah i I listen to podcasts and and some of those are messages some of those are there there we go are specific but but generally not traditional not not what i not what I learned growing up, but what I'm learning now, where I'm at with, with my head in, in, in those things. And sometimes I have to step away from those. I I have enough theology I have enough of what the definitions yeah. are. I just need to go and watch the sunrise. Experience. That's all I need to do. And I'm going to commit to that. And that's going to be my practice or my practice is reading some poetry. Um, so I have some poetry books and I got a Wendell Berry book, you know, and so, so anyways, what, so speaking of growing up, so how do you handle God and your kids or how do you plan on it? That's or, a tough one. You, you ask yeah. all the tough questions, man. Well, um, it's because, you know, I, I've been polling this question because I'm just letting everybody do the scout work. So when I have a kid, I'll just be like, all right, so what worked and what did not? Yeah. So Christy has this book and I forget what it's called, but, um, that's been a big question for us because we don't want to impose theology on our kids yeah um especially long before they're ready to make up ideas about god or or formulate ideas because it's just a just a deep 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 hole that you can go down that has been going on for thousands and thousands of years and i don't think you need any of it to experience god you don't need it you you you, Mm. you need it to explain your experience perhaps but you don't need it to experience God. Um, and so the book, the book has a lot of little things like, um, like Sabbath practices, like going on nature walk and and pointing out beauty and creation or, um, blessings at the end of the day, um, just to put good words into your kids, um, about how God loves them and no matter what and that type of stuff and so it's it's pretty good stuff and that's the thing is like they're going to be told by society whether or not society's secular or not who god is and the only thing i want them to know is that god loves them no matter what and there's nothing they have to do to earn that or to um they don't have to feel shame if they if they don't live up to to what they think in their head is is good, <clears throat> because I just felt yeah. extremely scarred and marred, and I think you you might agree oh, by yeah. by the whole shame and blame and guilt culture um, 
with Christianity. It's like, yeah, salvation is a free gift and you know, you don't have to do anything to accept it. And God loves you no matter what, but, but, and and, it'll be, and as you know, as they say, everything before the butt is bullshit. Right. So yeah, everything after the butt is what really matters. And so, um, and my, and my, my parents are like my poor mom. She, she's still like, she's a huge fan of this. I had both my parents on and like interviewed them about, cause they were straight laced, never smoked. And then they have this kid, you know, my sister's, uh, married to a woman and has a kid. And then me was this prodigious drug addict. And so like they are, their faith has, you know, gotten crazy awesome and they're, they've changed and all that, but they keep, my mom keeps like apologizing. And I'm like, dude, y'all, you know, y'all did your best with what you had. It's yeah. Not your fault. Oh no, absolutely not. And that's the thing too, is like you, you are not responsible. It's one thing as a parent, I understand. And I, my kids aren't fully grown yet, but like, you're not responsible for your, like you're responsible to do the best that you have and your kids are going to respond however they're going to respond. And, right. um, and you're only a percentage of that. Um, and, uh, so like, I don't know if you've ever done any, um, any like the Enneagram tests or the personality tests or any of that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but like w- the one, one thing people are often worried about that is cause, cause it's based around a, a childhood wound or what they call a childhood wound, but it's really just the way that your personality was formed in reaction to a perceived wound, but it's nothing that your parents actually did. It's nothing that yeah, they did. They were just doing themselves. It's, it's how you reacted, but it was how you reacted to it in, in a young age. And, and so, yeah, I, I think about that a lot. I think about like, cause my wife is often really terrified of our kids, either the two things she's really worried about is drug addiction at a young age or whatever, where it's kind of like terminal and then, uh, and then a, uh, a a teenage pregnancy or something like that. And that's what she's always worried about. Like just (laughs) getting knocked up or getting hit the drugs early. And, uh, and I'm like, there's no, there is no benefit to that fear. No, there is nothing good that can come from you worrying that. I'm not Unless that I could ever plan on locking them in a box right, right. until they're exactly. 22. Exactly. Yeah. What we need to do is show them the world outside of, show them everything, show them the world, and have conversations yep. about everything, and and the, and show them that you can be talked to if you need. Yeah, if you I need anything, right? I think that's super clutch. Right. Yeah. And, and psychological suppression has been proven to um, to create a lot of toxic habits. So if you feel like you can't talk about something because you're you're in a religious culture that doesn't allow you to do that, um, it's just going to get 10 times worse. Yeah, because it, it's coming out somewhere. Exactly. Exactly. That. Well, cool, man. I've taken up like an hour of your time, but uh this was I'm, awesome. I'm just out here in the country, just desperate for conversation. So it didn't even phase me that we went that long. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, man. Yeah. What? Well, hey. Yeah, hit stop. Oh no worries. Yeah, dude. Hey, do you mind oh. if I uh, if I post this for um for our uh, patrons? I would love that. If you ever want to have us on too, man, that'd be great too. Sweet. Still trying to promote this this beast. Um, I'd love to have you on again too. Cool. That was awesome, dude. I've, I've really been wanting to talk to you. So. Well, thank Did you, not man. Disappoint. I think we're uh, kindred in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I felt it. I felt the spark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, man. Cool, man. Hope to talk to you soon. Take Later. care, man. Bye.